Hey, everybody. Hey, so I was thinking about negative 17. That's unreasonable. No one should live in, in weather like that. They shouldn't. And I mean, we're, listen, we're California. Like, it, it rains a little bit, and we're like, mm, we're not going out of the house. It gets below 60, and we, you know, turn on our fireplaces, and we don't light them. We turn them on, and we sit there, and we warm, you know, a, a blanket around us and eating soup. These people are living in negative 17, and they were all at church on time. This is a noon service. You people still coming late. I, every, today's the late day. Every single day. We started our 9 a.m. service with like four people in the room. And that causes pastor's anxiety. You know that. I just assumed like that's it. It was a good run. It's over. Just shut the doors at the end of the day. No one's coming again. So um, just so you know, you create a lot of anxiety in me when you're late. Um, I'm just kidding. It's fine. This is our last week of the series that we call Lovewell of Theology. And just so you know, if you've got our app and you've been getting the, um, you've been getting the daily series guides, which we highly recommend for all of you, um, this week we don't have any because this is what we call a campus week. Next week, preaching on kind of whatever we want to preach on. I'll be doing kind of a vision Sabbath, I think. But, um, but there's, no, there's no series guide throughout the week. So if you just downloaded it and you're wondering where they are, they're not here. They'll start up next, a week from Sunday. They'll start up a week from Sunday. But this is our last week, and we've been talking about all the end statements of Crosswalk Church. And I, um, I you know, they come from Scripture. Our, there's a theology behind these end statements of who we are going to to be and what our identity is. And to me, it's really important. I believe that this is what God wants from us. And he's shown it to us again and again and again. And every time I think about that phrase, God has shown us something, I always think of that song. Do you remember it? He has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of him but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, 8, right? The New Living Translation sounds like this. No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you to do what is right, do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is a, a favorite text of so many of us. You know, we like this text. It's beautiful. We don't really know where it comes from, and we'll get to that in a bit. But, but there's some pretty big implications for leadership in our world and in our faith when you think about these particular attributes, doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with your God. And this leads us to our final end statement which is simply this, Crosswalk will be a community that exemplifies servant leadership. Our final end statement, I think it's the right one. But it's a collective statement of how we are going to be as well. This is not the pastors of Crosswalk Church will exemplify what servant leadership is. That's not what we said. What we said is Crosswalk will be a community that exemplifies servant leadership. So all of us have a piece and a portion to play when it comes to how we lead in the world and how we lead in our own respective spheres of influence. This is really actually important. It's important for us. It's important for those who see us outside of our community. And we are reminded that this is a communal thing because the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 4.10 says it this way, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Right? So there's something that you do, something that you are, something that God has gifted you with that is particular to you and particular to what you do in the world. Nobody else does it quite the same way. Nobody else has the influence that you particularly have, and nobody else can touch the people that you can touch in the particular way that you can touch them as a servant leader. But you got to understand, there's another phrase, right? That last phrase says, use them well to serve one another. 
So the, apparently we're all gifted, which is beautiful, but apparently as well, those gifts are to be used for service and servanthood, right? In fact, in his book, The Servant, James C. Hunter says this, serving others breaks you free from the shackles of self and self-absorption that choke out the joy of living. And it is true, you know, uh, we're all stuck in this rat race and we're all kind of seeking cheese and sometimes we're seeking cheese for ourselves, right? And, we, and unfortunately doing that, we have a tendency to find very little joy. Now we, we all like, oh, I could use a little more success. I could use a little bit more of an opportunity to lead. I could use a little bit more, you know, promotion of money and this sort of thing. Like success is a fine thing. And sometimes we equate leadership and success being a leader in your industry or your job or whatever. The problem is this, when it is for ourselves, we end up in kind of the category that I call the tragic stories of success. And I was looking this up this week, and I got to tell you, there's lists and lists and lists and lists of people who have been successful in leadership, in business, in entertainment, financially, um, politically, who have lived incredibly successful and tragic lives. And that's really... It's really too bad because you would think with that success and you think with that leadership and you think with that opportunity would come, you know, great joy, but apparently it doesn't. I mean, I'm not going to exegete any list for you, but here's some names. Marilyn Monroe, leader in her industry, died tragically. Frank Sinatra, depressed. Andre Agassi, in his uh, biography, he writes about the horrible, horrible times he had. Michael Jackson, Charles Schwab, Schwab a, uh, a steel magnet who... You know, so many people who seemingly have done so well. The truth is this, success without service misses the point. And success is great. I'm not, I'm not harping on success. Like, I'm for it. I want success for every single one of you. I want you all to be millionaires and billionaires. I think that's great. Tithe. <laughs> but, but no, I... I but success is a gift like any other gift that comes from God. And it is to be used in the service of others. That's what it means to be a servant leader. So how can we as a community exemplify servant leadership? I mean, how do you even do it? What's the blueprint? Well, we read it. God's already shown you, right? Do what is right, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. It's super easy. And again, we all love this text. It's great. It's wonderful. But do you know where it comes from? Do you know the conversation that it, that it was born out of? Because most of us don't. Because most of us don't read the book of Micah. It's a minor prophet. I like to major in the majors. Give me an Isaiah, not a Micah. You want me to read Nahum? It's crazy. But they're in scripture, so maybe we should pay some attention, right? And, and it's great to quote something, but it's also better to know who it was. So who is Micah? Let's ask that question first, right? Micah was a prophet. He was from a small agricultural town southwest of Jerusalem. His ministry overlaps that of Isaiah, actually. While Micah, Micah was speaking to kind of the common folk, the Amha Aretz, we call them, the just normal, everyday people who live in the suburbs of Jerusalem, um, Isaiah was preaching to the, the biggest in the city, right, the, the most important people. So Micah was speaking to you and, and me. He would have been speaking to us. And listen, much of Micah's prophecy is judgment, but it's addressed to the capital cities of Judah and Israel, which is Jerusalem and Samaria, respectively. 
You see, their leaders practiced and tolerated false doctrine that led to a false understanding or misunderstanding of the character of God. And as a result, injustice towards the lowly, mistreatment of women and children, unjust business practices and exploitation of the poor, many of whom were the people that Micah was speaking to, lived with, and was part of. What was going on is that the rich were living in luxury while the marginalized suffered to pay for the extravagance of those in power. Even though the book of Micah declares a lot of judgment, the prophecy also offers hope for the coming Prince of Peace. So we're only going to take eight verses, but it's important that we look at these so you can see where this beautiful text and this blueprint of servant leadership comes from. So it starts like this. Listen to what the Lord is saying. And by the way, Micah says that a lot because apparently people were not listening to what the Lord was saying. So he starts almost, feels like almost every sentence with, hey, listen, listen to what the Lord is saying. And then it gets interesting. So he's speaking for God right now. He's using God's word, God's voice. Stand up and state your case against me. Let the mountains and hills be called witness to your complaints. So God knew his people. People complain. You ever complained about your boss? Don't raise your hand. They might be in the room. Of course you've complained about your boss. We've all complained about our bosses. We've all complained. People complain about everything all the time. So God says, listen, I'm ready to, I'm ready to hear your complaints. Stand up and state your case against me. But then he says, well, now, O oh mountains, I need you to listen to my complaint. Because God has a case against his people too. And he will bring charges against Israel. So what we see in these first two verses is this like language of dispute, right? This language of like, uh, God's not super happy with us and we're not super happy with God and God is calling it out. It's like that meal you finally have after you and your significant other haven't been getting along for a while. And, and you sit down and, you know, over salads, you're like, you know, I've got a few things I'd like to say. And then you can say a few things to me. And then by the time dessert rolls around, you're like, I'm ordering the tiramisu and I'm not giving you any, right? Because you've been honest with each other and this is the conversation. They are in contention with each other, right? They're contending, we say, with each other. And I wonder, does God contend with you? The truth is this. We don't know if God contends with us because we don't listen that much. We have a tendency to say amen and walk away from the conversation. Maybe God has some things that he'd like to say to you once you've complained to him about everything that's going on in your life. So God's not happy and he lets them know. He goes, listen, my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me. And then God begins to provide a list of all the wonderful things he's provided. This account gives God's actions for the sake of Israel. He says, listen, I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery. I sent you Moses. I sent you Aaron. I sent Miriam to help you. These are specific things, names and places, clear salvation. He has sent time and time again. And then he says stuff that, that we don't even know about. This is stuff that's spoken to that they must have known about. Don't you remember, my people, how King Balak of Moab tried to have you cursed? And how Balaam, son of Baor, blessed you instead? And you remember your journey from Acacia Grove to Gilgal? Some of this stuff's not even in scripture, you understand? Like, we don't know those stories, but this is God speaking to his people going, do you not get it? Have I, have I been bothering you by saving you so much? Then he says this, when I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness, he lays it out. 
So now it's their time to complain to God because they've been complaining amongst each other and he clearly knows this. So he's like, okay, now it's your time to complain about me. It's your time to contend with me. Have you ever thought about what complaints you have about God? Which is a fair question because we complain all the time. But most of the time we complain to people who can't do anything about it. I, uh, I was on a business call one time with everyone in the organization and um, the, the, the boss boss, the CEO, the CEO got online. He was talking about corporate culture and he said, he said, so this is one thing that we hold very dear to ourselves in this corporate culture. He said, if you complain, only complain to people who can do something about it. And I was on a Zoom call and I was like, that's brilliant. And then I was looking at all the people on the Zoom call, hundreds of people, and I was like, I know a lot of these people. They all complain to me. I can't do anything about any of this. They, this is not the corporate culture. He thinks it is. But I did like that idea. And so these people now have an opportunity to complain to someone who can do something about it, to God. We have the opportunity to complain to God. Most of us don't because he's God and we're a little bit nervous. So they do what we often do. Do any of you here have the spiritual gift of sarcasm <laughs> or the spiritual gift of passive aggressiveness? Because this is how Israel responds. Nah. Well, what can we even bring to God? Like he hasn't told us. We don't know. Should we bring him burnt offerings? By the way, that's been in the biblical account forever. Yes, you should be bringing burnt offerings. Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before the God most high? Yeah, well, that's there too. With offerings of yearling calves, yes, go to Leviticus, go to Deuteronomy, it's there. And then they get really snarky. Then they go, should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? What is that? What are 10,000 rivers of olive oil? You can't just have rivers of olive oil walking around. This is ridiculous, right? Then they say this, should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? This is nothing but sarcasm and passive aggression. Why? Because obviously God has never asked for the firstborn, except for that one little blip we have with Abraham. But we know how that worked out. It didn't, he wasn't actually asking for that, right? Um, you know, this is not the God Molech who you, would, who you would give your firstborn child to to be burned. I mean, they know this is not it. They're being just punks. This is what's rolling up to this beautiful text that we sing this song about, to this wonderful blueprint of what servant leadership is. It's this conversation, right? This doesn't come from a non-contentious great chat God is having with Israel. He's angry. They're angry. So how does God respond? He responds like this, simply, quietly, and with deep and abiding clarity. And you know the response, because I've read it like five times already. No, <laughs> no, God doesn't want you to burn your children. He doesn't want rivers of olive oil. Nobody knows what to do with that anyway. He's told you again and again and again what is good and what he requires of you to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You know one of the reasons why I think people didn't want to hear this? This is not exciting, right? Everybody wants to be the first person in line. Everybody wants to be the leader that everybody's looking up to. When a leader does justice, 
loves mercy, and walks humbly, not arrogantly, with his God. That person is often not the first in line, third, fourth, fifth, way down the line, but they're still doing the work that God has called them to. So I was looking around for good examples of servant leadership, and I'm looking in history. And I kept coming back to this one realization that in all our communities, the community that probably has the most profound servant leaders in most, most difficult times of crisis is the black community. And so when you look at their servant leaders, and I mean, an easy one to go to is Martin Luther King Jr., of course, but he was kind of a front of the line, line guy, certainly humble. I mean, he did all this, but there's some other people like, if you studied Sojourner Truth, right, she fought for the greater good of her community and our country at great personal risk and cost. And although she was pretty well received by many people, including multiple U.S. presidents, she also faced incredible opposition. And she did not win every battle that she was in, but she never stopped fighting. She exemplified many servant leadership attributes, including things like integrity, right? Strong character, someone willing to be in healing relationships, stewardship, community building, empathy, and even more. And if you haven't studied Sojourner Truth, you need to go back and do it. But then I came across a name that I didn't really know before. The reason why I didn't know this name before is because this is not a stand-on-the-platform kind of guy. Ralph Bunch is his name. I don't know if you know who he was, but Ralph Bunch was a political scientist and conflict mediator. He was the first person of color to receive the Nobel Peace Prize and was an advocate and active participant in the civil rights movement. But you probably know him more for his work negotiating the 1949 armistice agreements in the Arab-Israeli conflict. And he also played a major role in the foundation and advancement of the United Nations. Bunch also contributed to several federal organizations, including the thing that became the CIA. His service to his country, to his race, and to conflict-born regions that he didn't even belong to everywhere was selfless. He consistently put the needs of others before his own. In so doing, he reflects the best that humanity has to offer, even at very significant personal risk to himself. He expressed not only concern for issues such as civil rights, peace, and security, but he persevered until he created systems of advocacy to make those things happen into place. We talked about good systems last week. This is somebody I didn't even know about, even though he was deeply involved. Why? Because he wasn't leading from the first seat. He was willing to be a servant leader and do what God had called him to do in his own capacity, in his own giftedness, in his own way. And yes, he was clearly honored for the work that he did, but the honor was not the reason that he did the work. And we are all called to be servant leaders in our own capacity, in our own spheres of influence, right from where we are. But... What about servant leaders here? Because we could put a long list of names up of people who serve the church, who serve our greater community, serve in healthcare systems, and all that. As we were, as we were incepting this whole series, 
Um, one of the people that um, obviously we were interested in talking to about this was William Johnson. Because, as you know, his, his handwriting is on our graphic, and he's the gentleman that we're talking to at the beginning of our little um, uh, sermon bumper, we call it. And so Bill and I got a chance to sit down. Now, I want to say a few things. First of all, this is about a six-minute video of a much, much longer conversation. So look on social media this afternoon. We're going to post the whole interview. We didn't have time to do it here at church, but we're going to post the whole interview. And so I want to make sure that you um, watch it. And while there's lots of people we could have chosen, the reason why we've been talking to Bill Johnson through this whole time is because of the selfless service that he's shown as a servant leader over the many, many years that he's worked for the Seventh-day Adventist Church, starting all the way back when he was a young person in Adelaide, moving on to India, to the seminary, then to the GC as editor of the Review, and then out here, and he works with us, and he's worshiping with us here today. So, Bill, thank you for being here, and thank you for spending the time with us. So, as you watch this, um, I just want you to, uh, to know that Bill's a wonderful example of servant leadership. I'm here with Bill Johnson, Elder William Johnson, probably more official, um, who is a member of our church and just um, a wonderful friend to me. And Bill, will you tell us a little, we reference you a lot. Your writing is on our, um, on our new graphic for our series. Can you tell us just a little bit about your life and kind of what, what you've done in your life so we kind of know? Well, you know, I don't like to talk about myself but I'll say this, it's been a wonderful life. And you've heard that before from a lot of people. I grew up um, from a big family, youngest of nine. Didn't go to church. We used to go fishing instead of going to church because uh, uh, dad became an Adventist after marriage for some years. Mother never changed. And so we grew up not going to church, not at all. Ever. But... Um, Dad encouraged me to read the Bible, and through that, eventually, I became a Christian, baptized at age 16, and um, that really, that was, that was a key decision. Fifteen years in India, from there, called to the seminary, taught five years there, and from there, I was very happy at the seminary. I really loved it. So we came out here, and I um, uh, didn't stop working. Stopped getting a salary, but uh, it opened the door for writing. I love to write. So now I could write. And I'm, I'm holding your latest book right here, Living in Love, Snapshots of a Happy Life. Yeah. And um, I've, I've had a chance to read some of it and just have fallen in love with the anecdotes that you have. And you even have a chapter about your wife, which is, is bold. That's a, that's a bold move. I'm sure she had editing um, rights at the end of that. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, but if she had objected, I certainly would have changed. No, it, it came out just right. Um, what I love about this book is that it's talking about living in love. Yeah. And you know at Crosswalk, we say love well. Yeah. And, um, and this book is such a great match for that. And I've got a couple questions okay. for you um, from this. What does, and this is a big question, right? But what does love and love well mean to you? Let me just tell you a little story. 
we go out walking Molly and I along the road Huron just up the street so one day we're walking along halfway down the Amada or so away a couple of guys come running the other way and they you know we wave to them and then after a bit they turned around and came back and these guys I don't know they're probably around 50 or maybe 60 but they said and I did we didn't know them actually you know they said, you've been around a while. <laughs> True. What does it all mean? What does it mean? Wow. I said, really, when I say in that book, it's all about love. Mm. That God is love. To know that God is love. He's on our side, not against us. And the universe basically runs on love. Even though it's messed up and there's a lot of ugly stuff and terrible stuff. It's about love. That's the bottom line of the universe. I believe that. In your chapter um, titled Bonnie, yeah. you end with this statement. You say, the proof of love, genuine love, lies in our action toward the other. Yeah. Um, when, has, when have you experienced that kind of action, actionable love from someone? Uh, so one, one of the many things Nolan and I love about Crosswalk is that it's, it's a church that does, that acts. It's not just preaching, it's not just talking. I think the Adventist church is just burned out on all this talk, talk, talk. You know, get out and do something, help people. And Crosswalk is doing that. I, in, in the chapter, Surprised by Love, you say that if you live love, you will find love in the unlikeliest of places. Yes, yes, you will. Where's the strangest place that you found that kind of love? You know, in my semi-retirement, um, when I was asked to work among uh, other religions, non-Christian, to develop relationships, we started up out with the Muslims, naturally. I never got beyond that in seven years. <laughs> but I found... I found wonderful love among the Muslims. You know, love is not confined to the Christian religion, right. certainly not the Adventist religion. Love is everywhere because God is everywhere. Yeah. And if we open ourselves to it, love is there. Crosswalk is a, a really diverse church. Age, you know. I love it. It's just, it's so great. And all the different campuses have different experiences. Um, if you get a chance to talk to everyone yeah. right now, yeah. what would you say to everyone who goes to Crosswalk? What would, you, what would you leave them with if you could leave them with something? I'd say celebrate what God is doing, okay? Just thank Him and praise Him for the fact that He's brought us together. We are so different, you know. I'm the oldest or very close to the oldest. <laughs> Here I am at least twice or three times the age of a lot of the people there are four times today. But you know, we are loved there, we're, we're greeted and people hug us and it is wonderful. So something wonderful is happening at Crosswalk. And um, I think it's, you know, for the Adventist Church, I think it's a sign of what might be for the whole Adventist community. Yeah. Um, and 
the example of what Bill has done throughout his life is really an example of how the church is built, how the kingdom of God expands. You know, most of you probably didn't know who Bill was, but he, tire, he, he worked tirelessly to see the expansion of the kingdom through so many different levels of the church and then beyond. And to me, that's just an example of what servant leadership is. If we believe God is building his church, then we believe that God is building his church through something, and that something is you, it's me. It's by the way we take those gifts that God has given us, this various and myriad of gifts that God has blessed so many of us with, from leadership to, to you know, talent, to artistic talent, to, to success and the ability to make money. All those things are gifts from God and they all can be used for the purpose of growing the kingdom of God and building his church. And so as we sing this final song, I just want you to think about what it is and how it is that God has gifted you and how you can put that to use to not only build his church, but to grow his kingdom. Stand and worship with us one more time.